0: Okay, today I am really excited to have Justin Kahn on the program. You know, Justin, an amazing, amazing founder, and investor thinker. He's got a great YouTube channel. What we did on today's show is we did a live restream with my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash this weekend and Justin's which is youtube.com slash Justin TV, which is you should go subscribe to and restream let us publish to both. We had both of our audiences asking us interesting questions. And we just riffed, just two entrepreneurs two startup thinkers, two podcasters and two investors riffing for about an hour, I think it went over an hour. And it was just great to catch up with Justin. And then both of our YouTube audiences got to see it. So I want to do these like once a month, I think we'll have Gary Tan do one. If you know of anybody else, I think downtown Josh Brown would be cool. Maybe doing pump would be cool. Anybody who's doing streaming on YouTube on a regular basis and understands how to do a live stream would qualify for this. So if you have an idea for somebody who would be a good collab collaboration. Just email producers at thisweekinstartups.com. It'll go to all three producers and me. But before we get to that, uh, we have to talk about Miramac suing Quentin Tarantino over his NFT project and my idea for the most brilliant DAO of all time, the QT, the
1: Quentin DAO. Coming soon,
0: I hope. Stick with us. It's going to be a great episode.
1: This Week in Startups is brought to you by. Fiverr Business is a modern workplace for the digital world. Their team of dedicated business success managers help match you with the best freelancers for your team. Right now, you can sign up for Fiverr Business free for the first year and save 10% on your purchase with promo code Jason. That's F-I-V-E-R-R dot slash business and use promo code Jason. Embroker's startup insurance program helps startups secure the most important types of insurance at a lower cost and with less hassle. Save up to 20% off traditional insurance today at embroker.com slash twist. While you're there, get an extra 10% off using offer code twist and microacquire the startup acquisition marketplace. Start the right acquisition conversations at your own pace. Get free and instant access to over 100,000 trusted buyers with total anonymity. Say goodbye to brokers and meet your ideal buyer today. Go to trymicroacquire.com/twist. Quentin Tarantino is being sued by the production company Miramax
0: over his pulp fiction NFT plans. Yes, basically so you understand, Quentin Tarantino decided to Uh, make some NFTs. He's been getting pitched on this for uh, uh, some amount of time. I saw online in an interview, somebody was explaining NFTs to him. And he kind of thought it was interesting. So he took seven pages of the Pulp Fiction script, and was going to make an NFT out of seven pages that were left out scenes that are not in the movie. What a clever, great idea. Now, the only problem is Miramax owns Pulp Fiction. And the way these contracts tend to work uh having seen them up close when i worked at sony music uh or other uh media companies you buy a piece of ip intellectual property like a movie or a song or an album or a piece of art or a comic book character or a comic book or a book and in that contract it says we have the right to develop this in the future in perpetuity in all mediums known and unknown uh, in the future in other words if new mediums come out we get to exploit this IP and that's included in the price we paid you for it. So I'm assuming I don't know this, that his contract when they bought Pulp Fiction, they bought all rights to it, including sequels and this other stuff, which is why sometimes you'll see a director say I have nothing to do with the Exorcist sequel, I have nothing to do with the jaws sequels beyond number two, whatever, I don't even know Spielberg probably wasn't involved into even number two. So the sequel rights is obviously a big thing. And then there's what's called derivative rights, uh, you know, things made like merchandise, and they're outlined in contracts, and you can negotiate that I get to keep the merchandise. In fact, George Lucas did that famously with Star Wars. That's why he became so rich, it was because he used his money uh, to um, pay for the creation of the Star Wars movies, but kept the merchandise rights, et cetera, et cetera. He wound up obviously selling all of that uh, IP to Disney and now Disney, if they want to sell NFTs, I don't think Lucas gets to sell his NFTs. However, this is untested law because there are a couple of issues here. Well, these are things Quentin Tarantino wrote, but did not sell, right? These were not sold uh, as part of Pulp Fiction. They didn't buy the original script. If they did buy the original script, they certainly didn't buy the notes or pages around it. But they do own the title Pulp Fiction. So then you would make the argument well, you're trafficking in RIP and using RIP to sell these things that are adjacent to it. Now, if he just took the seven pages from the script and he sold them at an auction, I don't think that, uh, Miramax would care, but I think Miramax is owned by Disney. I believe somebody can fact check me on that. Therefore, Disney probably wants to put their foot down on this and say, wait, we got to stop this before, you know, Stan Lee's estate or, you know, somebody who drew Iron Man starts going in their draws and says, Listen, I got 100 copies of sketches I did of Iron Man, I'm going to start selling them. Okay, so the Walt Disney Company owned uh, Miramax from 93 to 2010, uh, got sold to a couple different holding companies. And now it's owned by Viacom CBS, according to Disney.fandom.com. Now, if you owned a copy of a a comic book, if I owned a comic book, and I cut each of the pages, and I made, you know, 60 pages of this graphic novel, and I framed them and I sold them page by page, Am I allowed to do that? Yes, I am. I bought that comic book. I chopped it up. But now if I make another work out of like a digital work, am I allowed to make a new story of it? Am I allowed to cut them up and make a montage and then play that into a film? Of course not, right? So these laws, uh, when they hit new technologies, always get tested. It's not really a big deal. This happened with DVDs and CDs and streaming famously. And generally, there's a negotiation if people feel like they get in the raw end of the stick, because you want somebody to maybe participate. So the right way to do this, and what you'll eventually see here is the director Quentin Tarantino will then go on to Miramax, uh, and they would cut a deal where Quentin would say, Listen, I have this archive of all of this interesting stuff. I want an NFT. Do you have an N- preferred NFT platform? They're like, yeah, we do it with this company or we started our own NFT platform. Great. So Quentin Tarantino's collection, Ridley Scott's collection of Blade Runner and gladiator stuff in Partnership with Disney would then sell them, right? So that that's how this stuff tends to work out. And so, according to the Wall Street Journal, Bart Williams, who is a partner at the law firm of Prosser Rose, I think is how you pronounce it, on behalf of Miramax, stated, "quote It was profoundly disappointing to learn of this deliberate, premeditated, short-term money grab by the Tarantino team to unilaterally circumvent Miramax's rights to Pulp Fiction through the illicit development, promotion, and distribution of NFTs." So uh, that's a pretty over the top statement. I don't know why they would be so aggressive about this. They I'm assuming went to Quentin Tarantino and said like, hey let's uh, let's work something out first. But Tarantino probably told him to pound salt because maybe he uh, doesn't agree with them or maybe he's got some past friction with them and this is part of an overall negotiation. Remember we saw something similar uh, with none other than Dave Chappelle and the Chappelle show and he was like, hey, don't watch the Chappelle show. They're screwing me out of money and then I guess Comedy Central and Chappelle figured out a way to bury their beef, which is good, because then Chappelle gets to uh, work on this IP and support it in the future. In fact, when Howard Stern left terrestrial radio, part of him leaving, and I think staying for an extra year or something, was when he negotiated his further contracts, he said, I want to own my tapes. I want all of my tapes for history to be owned by me, my masters, basically, not these other Westwood one or whoever he worked for previously, I'm not sure. And he actually owns his archive now. And I think with his uh, deal with Sirius, he owns a company that then gives them the show, but he still retains his IP on all that. So as you move up the stack, you can then reacquire your IP and use your current partnership as bait for that. So what Tarantino should do here is he should go to Miramax and say, Listen, I want to have some ownership in my archive or something like that. Is there some deal we could cut here? Uh, But you know, there's really no reason for the movie studios to do that. So you know, he's only going to do one more of these um, you know, I I don't see it as a a money grab. I see it as an experiment and maybe they should collaborate on it. If you're trying to nail an important project before the end of the year, you might need some extra help. I know I do. Well, look no further than Fiverr Business. Fiverr Business puts a world of expert freelancers at your fingertips so you can get any project across the finish line and be really proud of your work. It is really hard to hire full-time people right now. Plus, Fiverr has everything you need to seamlessly integrate your new team members into your workflow. We love Fiverr here at launch. We hired a bunch of researchers, researchers, right? So we were able to scale up very quickly. They went out and they got us leads. And I didn't have to take my key employees off of investing in companies or producing the podcast. They just took the research and they started on second or third base. Fiverr just works. So stop wasting time searching for talent that may never arrive. Just leave it to Fiverr Business. They have a team of dedicated business success managers that will help match you with the best talent for your team. But man, if you get that business success manager, they're going to handhold you. So no more endless guessing no more interviews. You can also save your favorite freelancers for future projects, which is kind of cool. So find the freelancers you need and give your next project the boost that it needs to give you a strong finish. Right now you can sign up for Fiverr business absolutely free for the first year. Get one free year and save 10% on your purchase of Fiverr business with the promo code Jason that's right. Go to fiverr.com slash business and don't forget the promo code Jason J A S O N. That's F I V E R R.com slash business. Remember, there's two R's in Fiverr. F I V E R R.com slash business use the promo code Jason, Mr. Tarantino announced his plans early this month, a release through Tarantino NFTS promoting the auction says the artifacts will get a quote glimpse into the mind and creative process of Quentin Tarantino uh, the seven unused scenes from the movie will also contain audio commentary according to the release now audio commentary he would be allowed to do so if he wrote a book about his experience writing about the characters that would be really hard for them to stop so what he should do here is not call pulp fiction it should be called the tarantino sessions uh, and he should just sell the tarantino sessions where he talks about every character he's created in every movie and it, that would be just his commentary like a novel. And I think they would have no leg to stand on. It's just his commentary on my inspiration for creating a character. How do you I mean, if George Lucas made an NFT on where I came up with, you know, the character Boba Fett, and what was my thinking at that time? Well, he could do that on an interview show in a book in a blog post, he could monetize it. I don't see how that would be illegal. As long as but when you start using the name Pulp Fiction, or you start using imagery from Pulp Fiction, which this does in a very clever way, they don't have the actors faces on the website, they just have the iconic suit, and a little bit of blood. And the font style evokes Pulp Fiction. And so I think that's probably what they um are objecting to Miramax. Alleges that Mr. Tarantino reserve rights were limited to the film soundtrack, music publishing, live performance, print publication, comic books, and theatrical and television sequel and spinoff rights. So that's super fascinating that he owns the um, the rights to theatrical and television sequel and spinoff rights. So an even easier thing for Tarantino to do here would be the further adventures of you know name a pulp fiction character. Super easy, and he, that would be worth more. Or what happened to this person? you know, so you do some sequel or whatever, quote, Tarantino's limited, reserved rights under the operative agreements are far too narrow for him to unilaterally produce market and sell Pulp Fiction NFTS, the suit says, I don't know if I agree with him, given that he owns the spinoff rights, because these seven pages contributed to the original Pulp Fiction, I think that's where he's getting himself in trouble. So he should just burn those NFTS. And he should just stick it to them by doing all of the spinoff rights. And then he could say, you know, I had an original idea. Uh, But I changed it. And here's my new idea, right? Boom. So how are they going to stop them there? Miramax parted with Mr. Tarantino in many of his movies. uh, But none of the recent ones, I guess, Jackie Brown and Killville volumes one and two Miramax was run famously by the Weinstein brothers. Here's the thing, there's a certain subset of rights, as I talked about, you can negotiate all kinds of things. uh, But forward looking stuff, it's very hard for people to control what you do in the future. If really, tarantino wants to get in on this crypto griff there is a much easier way and i had written about this with crowdfunding 20 years ago i may have even talked about it on this podcast i had the idea that if quentin tarantino i think i wrote this in silicon Valley reporter at some point in a blog post or maybe i wrote it on my own personal blog quentin tarantino were to say i'm going to write i'm going to write 10 more movies i'm going to write produce or make 10 more movies because he said he was going to do 10 and he's working on the last one now and he wants it to be a slam dunk. And then he, I've heard him in these interviews he did recently. Shout out to Brian Koppelman's The Moment, Joe Rogan, and also uh, uh, Freddie Sinellis. They did three really great, very long interviews with Tarantino. And it was fascinating. I would watch all three of those. Freddie Sinellis is by a paywall, very much worth paying for his podcast on Patreon. If you were to go out and say, I'm going to create a DAO. And the DAO is for me to make 10 more movies. Uh, I'm x years old now. I'm going to do ten more. I said I was going to do ten, but I'm gonna do ten more. and I'm either going to produce them, write them, or direct them. some combination of those. So no promises here, but I might hire a co-writer, write it with them and let them direct it. I might you know let a have a story idea, whatever. And if you buy into these, I'll make them, and uh, we will put them into the public archives or you will have some governance or voting in this, but he would have a hundred million dollars show up immediately because he's got that large of a fan base that wants to see him do this work. And if they had some upside in it, where they got to be a producer, let's say anybody who did that got to have a frame in the movie at the end, with you know over ten thousand dollars, they get their own title card. If it's five, if they're thousand dollars, they share it with five people. You could actually do a formula for that, right? Like ten thousand and above, you get your own title card uh which you know calls you something if you're a thousand dollars you share it with five if you're a hundred dollars you share it with 10 100 people whatever it is it would be kind of cool um and then at the end it might be 20 minutes of producer credit how funny would that be <laughs> for 20 minutes of producer credits that they had to run at the end of every film and you could sit there and know when yours was going to come up it'd be kind of fun and you could do something like that i think he would raise 100 million i don't know what do you think uh all right congratulations uh to Quentin Tarantino on getting in on the amazing crypto grift right now. Sell those NFTs as quick as you can, uh, because who knows how long there will be a line of bag holders out there (laughs) who want to own JPEGs that have no function in the real world. I, you know, I'm I'm joking here, but if these NFTs actually had some IP associated with them, that would be cool. So I do think the Board Ape Yacht Club allows you to have IP in your monkey, uh, your ape, Uh, and so if. The Bored Apes keep going at this pace. I could see somebody doing a cartoon or something of Bored Apes or somebody making a Bored Apes I don't know, DJ or t-shirts or merch. And maybe who knows you if you bought it for $10,000 and you sold 10,000 t-shirts and made a dollar on each, you could actually be profitable. So, if the Bored Apes look at themselves like Marvel, who knows? Maybe there's like a some crazy comic book world where 10 of the board apes will get together and develop a series. Would you be allowed to do that? I think you own the IP. So could you take Could 10 people who own board apes, like Jimmy Fallon owns one, Alexis Ohannon owns one, Steph Curry owns one? If you had 10 of those people together, somebody email producers at com or just at mention me. Here's an idea. If you do, in fact, own the IP, 10 of you get together and make the board apes super friends, you can call it that, board apes super monkeys. Could you then sell that to, you know, I don't know, the Cartoon Network and, and write your own scripts and make them have superpowers and then somebody else could take 20 monkeys and do a comic book and call it something else and give them different superpowers and have a different storyline. I think you own the IP. So I think you could do that. That's where I think some of these things get interesting is with the IP included. So NFTs are garbage. They're a total grift. It's a total scam, you're gonna lose all your money in 99 out of 100 of these. But if there's IP associated with them, and that IP becomes valuable, then I think there's something there. If you don't have business insurance, you failed one of the first steps of being a great founder. Startups should look no further than in broker. Brokers technology saves you time and money. Prices are like up to 20% lower and they got better coverage than all these slow incumbents. You can go from sign up to quote and purchase in just 10 minutes, I kid you not. And when you work with in broker instead of business insurance incumbents, you're not dealing with large, slow corporations. The sign up takes days, not weeks, and the process is so transparent there's no opaque pricing, there's no negotiation, you just get it all done easy peasy lemon squeezy. I'm going to quickly explain to you one crucial type of startup insurance that a broker covers. It's called EO you may have heard it or overheard it It covers errors and omissions that'll help you deal with scaling your business. And because any major customer you try to sign up is going to say hey, can you show us your EO? O?" part of the diligence process. So you want to get it now. It's not that expensive. These things are part of the process of growing up as a startup. And you know what, I find sometimes people wait, until they get burned to put on their insurance the insurance is not that expensive you want to do it proactively especially if you've raised money recently that's the perfect time to deploy a little bit of capital into protecting the kingdom protect your enterprise so to instantly buy custom-built insurance for startups go to imbroker.com twist and while you're there you get 10 percent off they're already amazing prices by using the offer code twist t-w-i-s-t imbroker com slash twist all right thanks for supporting the show imbroker love you guys okay everybody welcome to our first collab collaboration my man justin khan is with me he's got a youtube channel he's an investor he's an entrepreneur and he's got opinions in other words i think we do the same thing for a living we talk we invest and we make stuff
2: i'm just copying you jay cal i'm just trying to everything you're doing i'm trying to i'm trying to be doing
0: you know, I, I think live streaming-wise, I'm now copying you. It's really interesting. This company Restream that we're using is like your vision from Justin TV, which is now 14 or 15 years ago. When did you start Justin TV?
2: 2007. So, yeah, 14 years ago.
0: 14 years ago. You That's had how old you are. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I remember using Justin TV. Was it the Nokia N95? Was that like one of the first streaming phones? that yeah, loud that's right. justin tv
2: i forgot about that yeah
0: because there was no iphone i think there was no iphone when justin tv came out yeah. there was no apps so there was a and nokia n95 was this like flip up phone and i remember robert Scoble running around like taking jerky videos and i remember seeing you and i think leo laporte at south by southwest live streaming with backpacks is that right
2: i think that's right yeah we had backpack there was like a backpack with a computer in it and a whole like camera webcam setup and then that was that was how we made our content.
0: And then eventually obviously uh, Twitch came out of Justin TV, yeah.
2: Twitch exactly. So we had Justin TV sort of as us trying to make our own show. The show was not good to put it kindly. And then luckily we opened up as a platform anyone could broadcast and eventually People were like, hey, we want to broadcast games. And it became Twitch. Mm. And uh, the rest is history.
0: It does say something about when you're an entrepreneur, the ability to pivot or just as you're building stuff and you're being of action and listening to customers that sometimes some um, you'll, you'll just fall into a gold mine or a diamond mine. I mean, it's basically what happened. You had no idea that video games would be the concept here. You were making a modern day Truman show.
2: Yeah, we drove drove the clown car into the diamond mine, <laughs> as, as the saying goes.
0: That's the famous, for people who don't know that reference, Zuckerberg once said Twitter was like a clown car that drove into a gold mine or something. and It was so cruel, but in some way so accurate and so on brand for Zuckerberg <laughs> that it stuck. Because it is true, they started, people forget. Odeo was the original idea that Evan Williams was working on, and he wanted to build a platform for podcasting yep. in the earliest days of podcasting. Like again, fourteen years ago,
2: before anyone knew was, what podcasting was.
0: Nobody knew what podcasting was, and nobody wanted to do it. Basically, people <laughs> thought it was stupid. It was like, you want to do a radio show? Why, why don't you just like, what's the point of that? Just do a radio show. Um, and then, famously i think evan said we need to come up with something here and i guess jack was working on just updating your status just what are you doing right now so the idea was i believe inspired by the yeah. remember yahoo messenger had like you could pick your status yeah and like, i'm out and I'm aol
2: out. aim had that too you AIM have, had have a two. Uh, status bar and then put right. a message on it
0: right you could be like sleeping or in a minute yeah, or whatever And so it's just to update your thing, but they too stumbled into it. It says something about entrepreneurship. I'm trying to think of a company that didn't stumble into their eventual business model. Uber went from black town cars to ride sharing and then food. Airbnb, they were doing something else too. What was their original
2: business? They were trying to, they had another, I forgot what their original business is, but they had a different Mm -hmm. business and they were trying to make money to survive and work on their business so they decide to rent out their apartment like yes. their matches on the floor of their apartment for a design conference that was in SF to like generate income so they could pay the rent
0: now just think about that it, you're so desperate to make your rent <laughs> that you come up with a business idea that then becomes arguably one of the five best ideas of the last two decades in Silicon Valley I think so
2: oh, yeah that's that is incredible it's incredible. It just proves if you have the right people who are like highly motivated and relatively smart, and they're and and, and think of desperation, then they're going to figure it out if they, you give them enough time. You know, you're going to figure something out.
0: And there's like enough time, and then there's sometimes too much time. If you have too much money, you've probably seen this. Company's got like yeah. infinite amounts of money. There's no pressure to make the diamond, right?
2: Yeah, you got to exactly. You have to. That's the problem with all the people who are successful and try again. Like you know, yours truly, where, where, you know, you have a little too much resources, and there's not enough desperation, you have to have like that ticking time bomb of like, how much money is in the bank. That's sub one year, you know, to keep you motivated. I find that founders.
0: I think founders do their best work somewhere between 12 and 24 months. So I'm agreeing with you. If it's over 24 months, they're just like, they put the infinity symbol for their runway, (laughs) like we have infinite. And I'm just like, Okay, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but there is something about that twelve to eighteen month window because fundraising is a in a in a normal market what three to six months. So you have twelve months. That means you got to get some shit done for six months, and then you got to clear a market with investors again. And they're going to want to see some progress.
2: Yeah, you have a, a clear window to figure it out. If you don't figure it out in this time, then you're clearly going to be dead. So you got to you got to do something.
0: And when you look at the companies you've invested in. Um, what what common traits do you see in the people who figure it out in a major way not like get to a couple of million in revenue but the ones who get to tens to hundreds of millions of revenue is there something you can think about with those founders that was unique in some way because we get this all the time right like new investors ask us like how do you pick founders and there's so many different types like if you look at the airbnb founders they're designers right they were you know, not developers. And then you have people who are hardcore developers. You got people who are hardcore business operations people. It can be different archetypes. But do you see some trends or behavior patterns? I'm wondering in the early days.
2: Yeah. I think it's like it's those people who, you're, you're, like you said, your technical background or whatever it doesn't matter. It's people who are like business people who are successful, engineers who are successful. But the attitude that I look for that I think is like it's the people who are both humble enough to know that they don't know most things. And they are mm-hmm. always learning from people around them and always trying to iterate their process. But then they're also confident enough to keep going for potentially ever. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like that right in the middle of like there, there's, there's a humility, healthy dose of like low ego humility. And then there's a, but there's a, the, a deep well of confidence. that's like, I'm going to f- figure it out. And they have, you know, you, sometimes that comes from some chip on their shoulder or whatever. They have some insane drive, but like, there's something there's, it's a combo of those two things like the best founders i know yeah they're always like learning from people around like i remember watching like drew from dropbox or ryan from airbnb and they would always have like new mentors or new people they were learning from who were like Mm. a couple steps ahead of them you know
0: you do see that a lot The, the the people who seem to be incredibly successful are sponges for information they seek out knowledge they ask really great questions they listen deeply they take notes they're just Rabbit about that and but there's a humility to it which is hey there are people who figured this out before me i might as well ask him and then yep. there's this sort of resiliency and you get the sense that somebody like travis or alex from calm you know they they're just never going to give up you know vlad from robin hood you know just talking from our portfolio you just get this like it's like inevitable they're going to be successful in their lives they're just not going to give up no matter what happens, no matter how hard it gets, even if they run out of money, they're still going to show up for work and figure it out, you know, as opposed to a lot of the people I thought were strong I invested in and they're like, they hit a bump. And you're like, well, if you just cut your 12 person team down to seven, you would add this much runway, you'd have more time to figure it out. And I literally had one of them say, I just don't want to do that. I'd rather just wrap it all up and close the company. And I, exactly. was, like, well, I was like, okay, well, <laughs> thanks you just told me you're bluffing you don't have it i don't need to invest in your company ever again like literally yeah. you, you don't have the ability to just cut five people to keep the dream alive well, then this isn't a dream
2: yeah yeah i mean i think there's a lot of people talking about you know when we started off people weren't coming here necessarily to get super rich it was like they were coming because they were interested in technology. They want to try, some, try something new. They wanted to be an entrepreneur because they couldn't get a job anywhere else. You know, like yes, it was. And and then over the course of Silicon Valley becoming very successful and very very common job path in the last fifteen years, you attract people who are like high functioning people who could be getting up paid a lot and you know Wall Street or on, on Facebook or maybe they came from those places and then they want to start a startup, but they're not. They don't necessarily have the same um, tolerance for pain uh, yes. that some of the early, you know that 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 other people do when they like have no choice or they're like a misfit or they're just like, this is like the only shot I have, you know.
0: Micro Acquire is a startup acquisition marketplace that cuts out the middleman. Basically, that means they help startups get acquired efficiently. If you're a founder looking to sell, MicroAcquire is free, private and involves no middlemen. You know how it is, uh, you try to get a deal going, there's somebody in the middle, they don't care about the parties involved in some cases, they just want to close a deal. And you really have to wonder, who are they working for, right? You're always wondering about incentives there. Well, you don't have to worry about incentives at Micro Acquire. To date, Micro Acquire has helped hundreds of startups get acquired, and they facilitated hundreds of millions in closed-deal volume. Their platform includes over 100,000 buyers, including me, I'm I'm paying for the service, it's pretty great. There are thousands of startups currently listed for sale and hundreds of successful acquisitions have occurred so far. Founders get free and instant access to over 100,000 trusted buyers while staying totally anonymous. On the other side of the marketplace, buyers like me simply pay $290 a year for access to deals on the platform which means eh, you're you're getting rid of the looky lose, right? Unless you're serious about this, you're not gonna pay the 290. So microacquire helps startups find buyers. It's as simple as that. They'll help you start conversations that can lead to an acquisition in just 30 days for free. Just go to try.microacquire.com slash twist. Once again, try.microacquire.com slash TWIST. I was about to say, like, it used to be like a bunch of misfits, awkward people, uh, president and yeah, company like, included. Yeah, exactly. like, yeah. It's something to prove like we, we absolutely have to make our mark upon this earth. Somehow we have to get something done. And, you know, be successful in some way, building some product that matters to some group of people. Um, talk a little bit about the fear of failure, and how you've seen that drive people. Because it can go one or two ways, right? I mean, it could. Make you a high performing, but also make you paralyzed. How, how do you mentor this next generation as you invest in them and build companies with them to manage yeah. their own fear and anxiety?
2: Well, people ask me that a lot, right? Like, because, yeah. you know, I've been through this whole tr- personal journey kind of along those lines and come to a place where I'm in a much healthier mental state. And a lot of times people ask, like, hey, would you ever have started a company or could you be successful? And with that, your present mental state, right? Where I'm like a lot more accepting of whatever the universe delivers, and I'm a lot happier with myself, like accept self-accepting. And I think there's something, you know, what I love about startups is it's the journey, right? Mm. A lot of people come in when they're in their early 20s, maybe early 30s, and they're super twisted. They're like, I have to be successful. I'm gonna die. Yes. Like it's like it's like get rich or die trying. Like 50 cents, yes. or whatever. Right. <laughs> And they're like, I, they have this huge shit. That was me. Like I had a huge chip on my shoulder. It was like, I never accepted when I was a kid, my peers. And now the only way I'm going to do it is like, I'm going to be super successful and I'm going to prove something to the world. Right. Obviously that's not a very healthy mental state because anytime we'd hit a speed bump on the journey of entrepreneurship, which for a guy starting a company with a camera on his head was like every day, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I'd be, I'd feel horrible. I'd be like, this is the worst. I'm like, you know my life is over. Like I've, you know, ruined it. I'm like everyone else is ahead of me. I'm I suck at this. I had huge imposter syndrome. Um, and what I found is like the people who I know that are the most successful, they start somewhere there. They start with that chip. They start with the drive. But over the course of like, you could start a billion dollar company. You know, ten years ago I would said a hundred million, but now it's a billion dollar company. And like pretty much anyone in, an in- industry can make their company worth a billion dollars, probably. But so once you go the real distance, the guys who, who I know, who are my friends who are CEOs of 10, you know, DecaCorn companies or more, they always transition to like, instead of doing it from a place of fear, which is where they would start off, doing it, finding their true purpose in there, inside of mm-hmm. there. And they don't have that like scarcity mindset or fear based, you know, decision making anymore, you know. And so it, there's a, it's, a, so true. it's yeah. a journey that goes through that. And, you know, that, 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 that like, um, that initial like scarcity mindset, like need to prove something. That's like the rocket fuel that gets you launched. But it doesn't keep you in orbit. You know, it's
0: very interesting that you bring up motivation like this. And you think about the hero's journey I immediately thought of like Star Wars and Joseph Campbell and some of the stuff. Um, And you know, you're called into this life to build something, you have this fear, you have this, you know, preternatural desire to be successful to be somebody to put a camera in your face to be the editor of a publication for people to know your name to maybe put some numbers on the board. But those motivations, the the fear motivation, the competitive motivation, the self-doubt, self-loathing, all that stuff, it's great short-term, but like you're saying, once you've made a little bit of money and all of a sudden you sit there and you have some success and you bought your house or you have money in the bank, now you're sat there and you go, "Okay, wait a second, what's the next level here?" and that's where you have to become a Jedi and maybe be the elder states person, statesman and find another level and become a missionary, you know? And like have some higher calling, and I think if you did, you watch by chance the Michael Jordan documentary.
2: I didn't, but I I heard a lot about it. It seemed like it's really required
0: yeah. for anybody who's a founder because he's the highest performer in the history of sports, in all likelihood, um, in terms of competitiveness and drive. He clearly is. So you know, there's obviously people Serena or, you know, in baseball other folks. You know, it, but in terms of like drive, he's kind of like a sickness in him, like. A deep sickness where he cannot enjoy the winning nor can he enjoy the journey nor can he enjoy the people who went on the journey with him and he hasn't you know played basketball for decades and he is loved by everybody and he's still bitter towards his teammates and the people who got him there and you you come away with it with this profound sense of sadness that he never got to evolve into that next person as we're discussing here that we see in other leaders
2: yeah and that and that's a tragedy right like that is that's like you don't want to be there you don't want to be there you want no like to me in my journey like going through and starting twitch and being successful becoming successful and you know that was actually only a vehicle to like learn about myself all the things i talked about were like oh i was like super twisted and i did have all these hang-ups and then just like have a be in a position where i could release them Mm. You know, and that's what I see that true value is like, I, I, like all the things I thought I wanted, like that I would be delivered by being successful, like, you know, being popular or like having people accept me, whatever it's like, it turns out none of those things really made a difference in my life. It was really about the lessons that I learned from once I'd gotten there and seen that it wasn't that important, you know, it's nice for sure, but it wasn't that the most important thing, um, then I could like move on to other, you know, maybe higher purposes for myself.
0: It's it's a very common experience. I had a similar one after we sold our first company. I watched. I don't know if you had the same experience when you do your first sale, and all of a sudden you go from this fear of never having money and being broke all the time, and then all of a sudden the wire transfer comes in. And I was sitting there refreshing Bank of America, <laughs> and the wire came in. You know, I'm sitting there for an hour like an idiot, yeah. refreshing my Bank of America account, and we sell Weblogs and AOL, and boom, this big wire comes in, and uh, my wife goes by the room and she says, "Why are you crying?" I said what and I didn't notice it but I a a couple of tears had come down and I said oh, I didn't realize I cried and she said, You're crying because you got the money I said no I'm crying because I never have to worry about not having money again I just realized like I spent the first whatever 10 years as an adult and 20 years on the planet just constantly having this strange fear of never having money and to have all that money then it was like oh well I've checked that box and then it was like okay well what now right what now
2: yeah yeah it was like you're happy for a week or whatever and then yeah yeah And
0: but it is freeing and that you then feel if you can find something else you love to do you're free now to not have you can start to think in a decade you know i started thinking i started thinking no. in like five ten years i don't know how you think now about your career and the time you have left i'm 50 now how old are you now i'm 38 you're 38 right so yeah do you now start thinking like Hey, what, what do I where do I want to be when I'm 50? Where do I want to be when I'm 60? Do you you start thinking like in decades or just think, what do I want to do this year on, in terms of a project? How do you manage your own psychology yeah. and your own time?
2: I think it's it's still, you know, I never was a long term planner, to be honest, mm-hmm. when I was, you know, younger and startups do and then now it's the same. I, I just think about like, what do I love to do? And who mm-hmm. do I love to spend time with? And I have a rule that I only want to work on things that where when I see the people I'm working with, it puts a smile on my face, you know, I like, it. And yeah. It like, cause it's like, like, short. Sure, like you gotta spend time with certain people. Like I want to spend time with people where I enjoy their company. And, um, and then that's it. Like, I just work on things that are interesting to me and hopefully they intersect with things that I think are good to put out in the world. And, um,
0: all right, to everybody who's listening, this is a collaboration. First time we're trying it, we're streaming to both of our channels on YouTube. If you're a part of the this weekend startups audience, you can go to youtube.com slash Justin TV, Justin kan TV, and subscribe to his channel. And there's a little bell next to the subscribe button, you click that bell, you'll get notified whenever Justin goes live or posts a video. You can do the same uh, at youtube.com slash this weekend if you're so inclined. Um, tell everybody about what you're doing on YouTube now and, and how what the response has been from uh, young founders who obviously look up to you in a tremendous way.
2: Yeah. Well, so on YouTube, I started thinking about YouTube about a year ago and I had, was making this podcast. I am still called the quest, which was kind of like inspired by my own story of like trying to go through being successful and then finding it a little bit hollow and then, you know, finding some other things that were more meaningful to me. You know, I noticed all these people had similar stories of like entrepreneurship or like in all these different categories, sports or, entertainment. And so I started doing this podcast and then I was trying to hire someone to like help me promote the podcast. And I ended up uh posting in this Gen Z server, like a Discord server, to try to find someone young to like help me out with it. And um got this response by this woman, Jen, who's like, you know, very young, uh product manager in tech, and she was like, You should have a YouTube channel. And I was kinda like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do the yeah. work. Sounds like a lot of work.
0: It is a lot of work, and-
2: yeah. And so, she was like, look, look, I'll help you make it. I'll do all the editing. All you have to do is buy a camera, put it in yourself and tell a story. Mm-hmm. And so, I was like, okay, I'll... I'm someone who's like... I'm, I'm often very much like a yes and person. I'm like, hey, let's just try it out. See what yeah. happens. So, I said, okay, I'll try it. So, uh, bought a camera, recorded a few stories, and she edited them. And they turned out really a lot better than I ever thought they would. And so, we threw them up on YouTube and they got a pretty good response. And then... I just had a lot of fun with it. So I've been making videos ever since for the last almost a year now. And, uh, it's got a pretty good response from the, the tech community. I think I, I, you know, I'm very vulnerable and open about like the things that happen you know, whether it was shutting down atrium and, you know, laying off 180 people or the wins as well. And things I learned, things I'm not good at. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of an experiment, but yeah. it's pretty cool because people, people like it. You know, I get, Uh, A lot of positive feedback. I got texted this morning from um, a friend I had on the podcast, uh, Harry Shuck, who's the founder of um, uh, a blank on the name, $30 billion enterprise SaaS company. Um, And uh,
0: well, that narrows (laughs) it down to 67 companies right now (laughs) in this market. So many big companies in SaaS. Uh, Uh, He was texting me
2: and telling me he was one of his employees. He was in his Israel Israel office, and one of his employees was like a huge fan and like, said mm. that you know i inspired her was she was like if justin could do it i could do it i was like that's mm. so meaningful to me you know like to get that feedback from people around the world uh, for the content i've created so really happy to be doing that and then i've also been making a youtube podcast which i basically copied like i watch all in by the way i'm like right. the biggest all in fan. Oh, i listen really? to every Thank episode you. yeah oh, dude you're you're you figured out you're a great by the way you're a great host and oh. uh, sometimes your co-hosts don't give you enough credit for it. they started to more recently but like for a long time they didn't give you the credit for it so i want to call that out i I appreciate
0: appreciate that it's it's interesting because they the public has been saying like why are they giving you a hard time about your moderation skills like you literally keep the show moving and right as i think somebody's getting boring or the thing's dragging you ask a good question you're pivoted or whatever it just comes from having done 1200 podcast episodes i kind of get a sense of when things are getting boring and when to move on to the next subject but um so yeah they you know, all in is some weird it's weird how popular it's gotten so quickly it's like creating a super team or something in the nba and it's become yeah. more than the sum of its parts you know
2: well it's it's really it's funny because i spent a lot of time thinking about it because i'm a big fan and i love the content like um mm. i drive a lot between northern california and la right so i'll eight hours and i'll listen to like a couple episodes on the, on the yeah. drive and um and then I saw, I was like, he's having so much fun doing this. Or like these guys look mm-hmm. like he's having so much fun. So I made a YouTube show. Like we'll do a show. And I've got three of my other, like kind of YC related friends. And we, yeah. Yeah. Kind of copy. I well, it was I, shameless. I was like, look, I'm just copying. Uh, it, there's been because about they, 10 people yeah. who
0: have said the same thing to me and they're kind of trying to figure out their quartet. And I'm like, that's great. Get your besties together yeah. and do it. Yeah.
2: Cause you just, I mean, it was primarily motivated because you guys seem like you're having so much fun.
0: Oh, it's hilarious. Then, yeah.
2: Yeah. But like people don't know behind the scenes, it's so much work to like if you like corral your rich friends to get in one place and have like sound like show up with like a oh, equipment and like no idea upload yeah. the videos. No, I have all the idea because I've you done it. Actually, with, like, now you know, yeah. The public doesn't know. With, yeah, with like Seibel, Michael Seibel and Emmett yeah. Shears, my co founders of Twitch CEO, and like getting people to like like upload a video on Google Drive or like to like yes. have a headset. You know, like it's crazy. Yeah. It's it's it's, it's surprising how yeah. The, fir-
0: the first twenty five episodes was me trying to get people to commit and then sending them headsets. And I just said, you know, I'm gonna commit to doing this. I have my own podcasting team. I got seven people on the podcasting team between ad sales and producers and editors and everything. And I said, like, listen, uh, just send them the equipment and if they lose it, just send it to them again. Go down <laughs> yeah. to their run to their place, you know, install the software, show them how to use it, walk them through it, do a tech check with them. Get them to upload it all this stuff and something happened after the robin hood episodes and that whole thing where we had this that whole when robin hood shut down trading yada yada and then vlad came on the pod the podcast went like five or ten x that week and then friedberg and Sachs and chamath i think for the first time got a taste of what it's like to you know something you and i have experienced when you get a lot of attention at once and everybody starts talking to you about it and that's when they kind of clicked into it and i said If you want to be successful with this, we just have to do it every Friday. You have to mark off your calendars and tell your EAs and your assistants and your spouses, that time is sacrosanct. You cannot change Fridays at 11. And I would say four out of five Fridays, they they bought into that.
1: Yeah.
2: It's funny. But This week it hit number
0: 42. The episode hit number 42 on all podcast episodes in the world, which is mind-blowing after 55 episodes or 56 episodes. Yeah
2: amazing, but it's great. Let's say you you did a good job of. I don't know if it's like you just picked your friends who you would balance each other, but you did a good job of. of uh, the
0: The origin of story is balance. Chamath. Chamath pinged me and said, "Hey, I want to do the podcast," and I was like, "Yeah, you can come on this week in startups anytime." He's been on six or seven times, and he said, "No, no, I want to do a podcast with just the two of us. So you interview me, I interview you, we talk. You talk about startups, I talk about late stage, and we just chop it up." I was like, "Great, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. I don't get to see enough. Great." So we start doing it. And then we're like, you know what, Uh, Sachs wrote something really good about masks. And then uh, we're like, yeah, and Friedberg talked a little bit about, you know, his theories on this. And he's a science guy. Friedberg didn't have a Twitter handle at the time. And they uh, both uh, came on. And then it was like, wow, this is really working. Um, And the only thing that is any debate now, I think, in the format is the amount of politics. I don't know how you feel about politics on the pod, but I'll just ask you, hey, what, what do you think? And for people in the chat room, what do you think about when we cover politics? Because it's been polarizing. Obviously, politics is the most polarizing thing.
2: No, I like it. I like it. I mean, because I'm somewhere, I, you know, the problem, though, with any sort of group of like, you know, your group or like my 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 friends, it's like all oh, got to be kind of like libertarian-ish purple in the middle. There's not enough. Yes. I think it's not actually divisive enough. Like there's not people mm-hmm. who are really taking enough positions on opposite sides i mean sometimes you get chamath and and uh, Sachs, you know but like really people are for like sensible policy based on like kind of some you know utility maximizing function right which is like you know radical for like america perhaps but like it's you know silicon valley is kind of like just in the middle and so i just don't feel like it's that extreme and to me it's a little bit like predictable
0: you know? yeah I, I I agree that we're pretty like close to each other in this purple area uh, where we you know the two and which I think represents America and certainly represents the tech industry because we're used to not knowing the answer to a question, designing an experiment aka product or service, deploying it in the real world and looking at the metrics and the anecdotal feedback and just saying, okay, let's iterate on that. Whereas in politics, you have to be like, I'm anti-immigration, I'm pro-immigration, no borders, all borders you know torture people in cages or you know uh, let people yeah. just steal all of our jobs it's just like is there no thoughtful idea here why don't we run a test for two years examine the yeah. results of the test and then iterate on the test and nobody can have that conversation in politics which is feels like it's the the end of the the de- this grand experiment in democracy that you you can't admit that you've changed your opinion about something
2: yeah, it's like you, the the definition of political or like a, an issue becoming political is that it is something that you like uh, have decided a priori before there is any sort of data, right, which is, yeah. you know, an insane way to really run anything.
0: So like, look at immigration, you and I have seen over and over again, in our contemporaries, extraordinary people come to this country or their parents, uh, and absolutely create massive massive amounts of jobs wealth taxes joy and you know further support this great democratic experiment known as america against the communists in the country communists in the world and the authoritarians in the world and you try to talk about something like immigration and people are like all or none and it's like "Mm, how about point-based system or or now we we don't have people don't want to go to work so why not allow some people in who want the jobs like Is the post-pandemic world and what we do for immigration should that be the same as the pre-pandemic world? I don't know. You know, like we can't even have a reasonable discussion about. How do you think about immigration in this country? Did your parents immigrate here, or
2: my my dad was born here, and my grandma on my dad's side was was born here, so it's kind of like Chinese who came over in like you know nineteen like I don't know like nineteen early nineteen hundreds, right there. Wow. But my um, did they immigrate to San Francisco? No, she was uh, my mo- my grandma was born in, in Ellensburg, Washington, which is like a oh, wow. small town in in Washington state. Um, but my my mom immigrated here. Uh part of like 10 siblings who immigrated here. Um so it would be called like a chain migration now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um yeah. Where did she yeah, immigrate I mean, I, from?
0: Did she immigrate from China? She came or?
2: from she's Chinese but she came yeah. from Malaysia. Uh, ah. So she was Chinese in Malaysia. Yeah. So, you know, there I, to me, we should be Finding the most talented people in the world, and we're educating them, and then we should be stapling a visa with their diploma to stay here. Because yes, you know, we, like that's a, that's the Silicon Valley. That's a pretty common thought uh, in Silicon Valley, and and I think we ha- need like different quotas for different educational. Like, it, I mean, it should be based on like the capacity of the United States to generate jobs in that area. And I think we've had like a huge capacity that we've like to generate technology focus job oriented jobs. So like for engineering jobs, technology jobs, we want those people to stay and build wealth and create in industries and companies, you know, for other types of jobs, like that might not be the case. I mean, for farm worker jobs, we have like this huge capacity, people don't want those jobs in America, we should, you know, maybe think about a different visa quota for, for that. And I, mean, I, I think it should be job based. Yeah,
0: yeah I, that seems completely logical. Like what can yeah. we how many people can we actually assimilate into this melting pot? That is America. So that they have a great experience and they become productive members of society. Obviously, it's such a popular place to come. You can't have everybody in the world come here, but you can have a lottery for people who could take entry level jobs or trucking jobs that nobody wants because the ports are backed up, or you know, jobs working, you know, in menial tasks that Americans don't seem to want to do. What's your best advice to young people regarding what to do in the early parts of their career? I'm thinking like, like you know, high, late high school and then into college to prepare themselves for the world in, in this 21st century which is obviously a lot different than the world you and i came into where your degree was pretty important
2: yeah i think that the most important thing is to just optimize for learning that's what i tell people it's like you want to take the job when you're younger you to take the job or do the experience that's learning optimized a lot of people have it backwards where they're like i want to you know make money first and then i'm going to do whatever i want and like go into the industry i want but mm. um I think it's someone once told me like your twenties are for for learning, your thirties are for earning. And I, yeah, that I makes totally, sense. Yeah, yeah, I, I I really believe that. I think like when you're young, you should optimize for learning as much as possible, and that could be a job choice. You know, it could be um, finding the right opportunity that exposes you to the most things. It could be like what you're learning in school, like technically or engineering wise. Um, but you know, I think I would. I think optimizing for learning and and breadth of learning is is very important.
0: It does seem like coming to a startup where the startup is by definition, resource constrained. If you come to a startup, typically, y- there's no amount of work that you can take on, because they're, they're short staffed. And when I went to work for big companies, you would get in trouble for doing things that weren't your job. They'd say, hey, do your job. Don't do that. That's this person's job. Uh, you had five people doing one job. And in a startup, you got one person doing five jobs, pretty much the best place you could wind up no?
2: Yeah, exactly. Like startup, even if a startup doesn't work, you're going to learn a lot. And I know that sounds like something like the founder of a startup would say to try to convince like somebody to join. Yeah. But like, one example is like, I just talked to, a um, you know, a friend of mine, an employee who used to work for me is very yeah, He joined Atrium, like he was, you know, just a couple years out of college, joined Atrium. And it didn't work, right? he And he left after like a year or whatever. It was kind of a cluster, right? you, know, you know, all sorts of different reasons, but he left after a year. And obviously the company didn't work, but now he's running like a business that does like five million dollars. He basically bootstrapped a business that's like doing mm. you know five million dollars of revenue a year. And he we had a catch up and he told me this, and I was like, wow, you know, like and from atrium, he'd probably just learned a bunch of things what not to do, to be honest. Mm. You know, instead of raising 75 million dollars and turning it into 25 or whatever, he raised no money and turned it into five, you know, five million dollar a year business. So great for him. And you know, that's an example of I think, you know, you can get something out of. Any experience and and experiences, even the ones that don't make you super financially successful, can prove to be really valuable to you later on.
1: Yeah, hundred
0: percent. Oh, you know what I was going to ask you too, as a follow-up: What skills are easy to acquire or take the least amount of time to acquire, but have the biggest benefit at a startup or in tech or in a a desired skill? In other words, I want to get a job in a startup, but you know, in the next six months, what can I do every weekend, every night, instead of watching TV and playing video games? What can I learn?
2: Developer learn, is the obvious yeah, one. Learn how to program smart contracts. <laughs> like if you yeah, sure. Yeah. Learn how to. If you're a developer, learn how to like do make solidity, right? Mm. Uh, yeah, or like embed yourself in build. Uh, let's say you don't want to be a programmer, you don't have programming skills, or it's not your proclivity. Like, learn how to create a community. Um, you know, because people who are able to drive community online, especially are able to drive. You know, like all of these you know it's momentum around these pfp nfts right These profile picture nfts like it's like community driven people driving you know creating online movements and i think that's like a valuable skill set right now
0: i think it's such a good one i was trying to find a community manager i realized it it doesn't exist and i couldn't find any and so i was like i'm just going to hire smart people and, and have them figure it out and we'll do trial and error we'll look at other communities but man the people who run subreddits right now um, or who are great on hacker news or just awesome on Quora and answer people's questions. Like, I don't think they understand exactly how valuable they are. Because if you can get a hundred people to show up somewhere every day and talk about something and then get it to 500 or a thousand or 2000, that's the start of a movement right there. Like, I mean, you, the first hundred customers, the first thousand customers are the hardest. If you can get them all to coalesce in a Discord or a Slack or a subreddit. My lord, that is like kerosene for startups, is it not?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, ultimately, make moving people or like getting people aligned to like move a certain direction or like engaged—that's like a invaluable leadership skill set. Yeah. I like that's you know
0: super. Uh, the other one I love is if you're not into programming, uh, maybe community is not your bag. Being able to do do mockups like UX, UI design, build no. a Figma or an Invision that's clickable. And then you're sitting there next to the founder or founders and they're talking about an idea and you whip it up in Figma and then you send it to your boss and you're like, hey, I, you were talking about this like little idea you had. I I just made a couple of mockups. All of a sudden you've manifested the founders ideas into a reality that's tangible and then you just took what was a, a discussion of an idea and then manifested it in a product in the real world. That is a superpower. That's like being a mutant in the X Men. Like, it's such a powerful thing. I, you've probably worked with a UX designer who like grooves with you and you say something and they just make
2: it. Yeah. Yeah. We have, I'm working on this one uh, new startup project. And, you know, we haven't written a line of code, but we have this amazing designer who's really breathed life into like what the applications built on top of this protocol could look like. And it's mm-hmm. like makes a huge amount of difference in inspiring people, getting people to join the project. No, but, yeah.
0: Funding. I mean, as yeah. I tell people, like a picture's worth a thousand words, uh, a video is worth like a million, and a prototype is worth like a trillion. <laughs> like yeah. You, yeah. once they have the prototype, they don't need any words. They just they take the mouse out of your hand, they start clicking, and they're like, "I get it. No need to talk. You yeah. don't need to tell me the vision. I clicked on your clickable." And then how many times you get pitches for angel investing, and you know somebody and somebody sends you a Figma design or an Envision, like that's one out of a hundred pitches. That should be yeah. 100 out of 100 should come like here's the Figma. Here's the vision. Go click. Have fun. Here's a bubble, makes,
2: you know? Yeah. Yeah, it makes it so much like more real, right? Like when someone could the human beings are visual animals. So like it makes it much, much more real to be able to see the product.
0: Yes. And when we see something visually, and then we can click it. Now, again, that credibility takes another leap up. It's like, just the act of being able to click it even though that's just two images,
1: basically,
0: you know, loading one page it's like hyperlinks from 1994. From the mosaic browser, it still releases something in a human like screens want to be touched, they want to move and they want to click. And when you put that together, man, credibility goes way, way up. Here's a question from Andy O. I'm not sure from which of our communities it could be from Justin Khan TV or this weekend on YouTube, biggest missed opportunity and why Hmm, biggest missed opportunity and why? What do you think? What I mean, one co- come to mind?
2: So, like, I guess there's so many financially, hmm. you know, I have a long list. I'm sure you have the same, like, of yes, you know. Yes,
0: the anti-portfolio.
2: Like, yeah, Airbnb getting, you know, helping them hmm. get into YC, but like my, my co-founder Emmett was going to invest like 25K at a $300,000 valuation or something oh. like that. And he just never, he never followed up. And we could have we could have invested in that one, you know. Like my friend Ben showed me Pinterest before it launched, and I just didn't get it. I was oh. like, I don't, oh, you know, I didn't get it. I mean, even, even more recently, I'll tell you one recently, like a year ago, um, I almost invested in whatnot. Uh, mm. I I really liked the team, but then my my um, explain what it is. Whatnot is like a a digital a, like a live shopping for collectibles, like a live shopping app. And they just raised money on $1.5 billion valuation. Wow. And yeah, they came to you, ago. of
0: course, because you're the king of streaming, yada, yada.
2: Yeah. And even you ago.
0: didn't see that.
2: Well, it was like, I actually was like really excited about the team. And then the space itself was like, I was just kind of okay, whatever on the space. Mm-hmm. It's, but then we had just invested in a bunch of companies and I kind of burned out on investing at that moment, that like one moment. Ah. Like it got me the wrong like week, right? And so then I was just like, let it, you know, let go and then, Obviously, you know, I mean, it's funny, I emailed the founder was like, Oh, well, you proved me wrong. Like, you know, it's amazing. Yes. Uh, Congratulations. There's Mm -hmm. there's just so many, so many.
0: It's so many, you don't have to hit everything. Uh, You know, for me, uh, we're on Restream right now, the software is incredible. They contacted me like three years ago, and I never responded. Because I used at some point, my inbound peaked so much that I had to hire two researchers, two associates, and just a whole group of people just to respond to my emails coming in to make yeah. sure I don't miss stuff and you know, apologies to people over the last five years where I never got back to, but you know, you it's uh it's hard to hit super router status in the world. You've had to uh, deal with this where it's just, you literally could have 10 of you and not respond even, but yeah. briefly to the people who are inbound. And so that was a tough one. And then of course, you know, before I was an angel investor and really was thinking about that, one of my friends was starting a car company. <laughs> Another one was starting Twitter <laughs> and the third one was starting online poker or zynga and i didn't even think of asking or saying yes when they offered for me to invest so uh you know you can have your regrets but i mean when you wind up doing so well it, i don't even think about that now like it's not even on my mind like what i didn't hit um how do you deal with setbacks building a tech product are you realizing you have to change your tech stack etc It's a good technical blocking and tackling question justin how do you, how do you deal with God, you know, you build something and you got the sunken cost and now you have this emotional wreckage of having to throw it away.
2: Um. Well, I generally, I question like, you know, a lot of people want to rewrite their product all the time. And like, mm. I just nine times out of 10, or maybe like four times out of five, it's probably like not necessary. I question yep. whether that's truly necessary. I think for engineers and I've been in that position as an engineer, it's like, it's easy to say, Oh, if we rewrite it, it's going to solve everything. And like, oftentimes, I did not. That wasn't the right move. You know, it was like mm-hmm. an investment of resources that didn't really yield like the result that we wanted, or the, like create all different downstream mistakes. So I would challenge the assumption.
0: Yeah, it's sometimes people um, don't want to take the hard medicine of, hey, we have a problem with product market fit, or we don't understand right. our customers. So what can we do that doesn't involve engaging the customer and figuring out this fundamental problem? I know what we can do. We can upgrade all the servers, move to this new thing, rewrite <laughs> the stack, and we'll, we'll kick this problem, this can down the road of the problem of, like, do consumers even want what we're building for six exactly. months? And it's better sometimes to just stay in the same code base, iterate, and figure out what your customers want. I think that was the genius of Eric Reese and Steve Blank with the Lean Startup is they were like, Don't invest all this technical baggage. Build an MVP. Now you have all the no-code platforms, Webflow, Bubble, Notion, Squarespace, whatever, you know, if this, then that. You can build all these really interesting MVPs and just test it and see if people like it. So much
2: easier. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent.
0: Okay. What's the most misunderstood business or crypto currently? That's a great question. What do people not understand in the crypto space that you think is brilliant and going to change everything? i'm I'm building on the question or in the regular world yeah
2: yeah i I mean i've been pretty red-pilled on crypto now you know i was always Mm. holding it but now i'm really excited for the projects like kind of you know i was never super interested in defi um it like seemed like a lot of crypto was just speculation on things but now i feel like there are actual applications Mm. that people are creating and and they're you know consumer applications and so and I'm pretty excited about um, what I think is the most interesting thing about crypto to me is it's a way to distribute incentives, right? It's a mm-hmm. way to change incentives. So by allowing people to have ownership through this token, they basically flip from, you know, someone who's just like a random person to somebody who's an evan- like incentivized to evangelize this community. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I one of my friends started this company called Brain Trust or Project. Called Brain Trust, which is like uh, distributed Upwork, right? It's like a freelancing network, and he's making it. They're making it on crypto. You know, it's a crypto pro- project. I'm like, why should this be crypto? I just didn't get it for years, and finally, he explained it to me as like, well, if you think equity is a great way to incentivize employees in Silicon Valley to build something great, imagine if you gave equity had a vehicle for mm-hmm. giving equity to like a hundred thousand freelancers who make their market. Mm. and that's what they did and you know now they're i think the protocols worth 2 billion dollars or something around there and,
0: etrst and yeah, so if trust. you are a freelancer you get some brain trust coins as part of being yeah. in the network uh, i guess in addition to getting money or maybe you substitute one or the other it looks like usebraintrust.com is the website really interesting I, the thing that's got me so i really think that's interesting in other words the thing that i hated most all these icos and the scamming and This anonymous, like, you know, grift and trying to find a new bag holder and pump and dumps and all that kind of stuff. That's the most negative framing of it and like a a horrible behavior where people are going to lose their money. Then on the other side, well, wait a second. If properly deployed and people aren't speculating, but they're participating, well, that's super inspiring. It's a way to give equity to everybody in a distributed way where there's no central authority to it. And so if the token grows like crazy, everybody wins and everybody's incentivized yeah. to make it grow the problem is like making it grow by you know being toxic and being like have fun being poor. poor you don't own any bitcoin haha you're gonna be poor is like gross
2: yeah yeah ha- it has to be considered it, exactly and it's like equity right like it you know there's been examples of people who are you know start in, immoral startup founders who are like hey instead of taking a salary you should you're gonna get paid entirely in equity and then they like the whole thing's a fraud or whatever. And then people, you know, employees lose their shirts. And that's like, obviously it's equity is a tool, right. To, to, that can be used in a way that is great for your employee base. And it can be used in a way that's probably exploitative of your employee base. Sure. The same thing is true of like creating a token system, like a crypto token. It can be used in a way that's like extremely exploitative, which is, you know, like some scam pump and dump, um, or it can be used in a way that incentivizes a pool of people to create a shared outcome right or be right. you know to try to move towards a shared outcome or, or to push them new vision mm-hmm. of the world
0: building infrastructure to do certain things in the world whether it's file coin for file storage or there's one for music now and distributing music files or you know uh doing money transfer and running services all interesting the thing that's got me uh that i the bug i can't get rid of is the DAOs. um yeah i i keep watching this and going when do i jump in like I have funds, I've got a syndicate. My syndicate is basically a DAO, except I make the decision. They decide what they I decide which company we're going to put forward. They decide how much they're going to put into it. If I could do that on a global basis and have an unlimited supply of pools of capital come in, they may not be best to decide which companies get funded, but maybe there is something to that, you know. Uh, so I've been looking at these DAOs, not for trading NFTs like Flamingo and other stuff, but I wonder if like venture capital or you know the syndicate or an accelerator could have a DAO. Like if there was a YC Dow or a launch DAO or a yeah. TechStars DAO, how would that work? Have you thought about that? Have you had conversations about that? What do you think of DAO?
2: There's some YC alumni who are creating a a DAO uh, to do like investments in YC companies and like build a community around, you know, mm. doing the investments. And I think it's interesting. Um I like the idea of like a DAO as an organization, a way that humans organize, right? Yeah. Right now you have like corporations, you have nonprofits, but like a DAO is like something that's a little bit different. And, mm. um, we're still like figuring out how that works exactly. Um, but I like the idea of it. And I, I'm what, do you, what part of the
0: idea. Do you like of that? I like, like the idea of like,
2: structure. it's like, it's like, a so with a, with an employee, with like a company, right? You have people who are employees or you have people who are Or not, right? Like it's kind of binary. Shareholders,
0: employees, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. Shareholders, employees, and then, and then like customers. That's it, right? Customers. With a DAO, you can, it's kind of like, you know, my understanding is seeing how some of these like new DAO startups are, you know, be created. They have, you know, they're actually like allowing people to sit somewhere between like Mm -hmm. full employee and like, you know, freelancer, and they have like can make more, you know, they're basically. It's like the whole thing is like run by freelancers almost, right? And then how much they're getting paid is kind of voted on by like a community prioritization. And it's a it's a very democratic way of running an organization, which may be good for certain types of organizations, right? Like, I'm not convinced that like it, every company should be a DAO because in some companies, it's better for it to be a benevolent dictatorship, right? We want one person who's like, this is the direction... I'm the product genius. You do what I say, right? Yeah, and you SpaceX don't want to,
0: Elon, right, you, you, you're building exactly a spaceship, yeah. like you, you can't be iterating on 17 different designs concurrently and voting. Like you, you need to pick a design and iterate and, and get to Mars.
2: Yeah. And exactly. And you want Elon who's, you know, going to give his blood, sweat and tears to figure that out. Right. Like he's right. Uh, in charge. You you want that guy. Right. And, but I think there's interesting, like, you know, I've always been interested in, it. was just like every other tech techie. I want to, I've been interested in how do you create like a new city or town? You know, and um, I think that would be a project that you know you could you could make a DAO from the beginning because it's like very it's uh, inherently democratic, right? But like, and so you could. Um, I think there's there's uh, the, the DAO has an opportunity to create like new forms of organization and self organization. Mm. I think is really fascinating, to me. and I'm not even oh, sure yeah. that we know what they're going to be good for yet.
0: They're programmable and they're votable and they're online and social. So there's like a very interesting. Um, sort of comparative here, you know, they have LLCs structures with partnerships in them, these are like programmable LLCs in a way. And they, you know, can share the decision making. And when the tools come out where you can go to a website, just like building a Squarespace website or whatever, or Twilio, and you just type in what you want your DAO to do, you write the code, okay, here's how we do voting. Here's how what happens if people want to sell their shares and get out of the DAO. And you think about Burning Man and like camps, people can build camps, they get a certain amount of space, they self-organize, and then the camps make up Burning Man. It's the city idea is really clever because it's like, okay, we're going to put a bunch of money together. We're going to buy a city, or we're going to put a bunch of money together. We're going to buy three cities and we're going to develop them. And you can live in one or two or three of those cities, however many you want, and you get to vote on them. So do you want to have fiber as our first project to bring fiber into the community? Or do you want to bring satellite into the community? What do you want to How are we going to bring internet to the community? How are we going to do education in the community? could be really interesting, right? And people have skin in the game and they own shares in the community. Um, I find it super inspiring, like, to really rethink all of that. So what is the highest leverage use of time? Hmm. What is the highest leverage use of time? I guess I'll add to that your time. What is the highest use of Justin's
1: time?
2: I think, for me, it's, like, to inspire other people. You know, that's, uh, to, uh, that's nice. not what I think my highest leverage use of time is like, I'm not going to build, be the programmer, program something myself anymore. I'm not even going to be the manager who like manages a project. I, what I really love to do is like, I love to sell a vision and excite people, like catalyze a group of people to do something. And so for me, I spend a lot of my time figuring out how can I inspire people to like build things that I want to see in the world. So YouTube, my YouTube channel is like that. It's like, hey, people want to build startups. I want to help them on their hero's journey. And so a lot of what I talk about is like just trying to, or my videos are about trying to help inspire people. And then the projects I work on, it's like, I'm not going to be the CEO anymore. I don't, You don't even want me as the CEO. I'm like, like we talked about earlier. I'm, too, I'm for I'm CEOs. Too, don't make me the CEO. Yeah, yeah I'm, too, I'm too rich now. I'm like not, you know, I'm not do or die anymore. You know, I'm the guy who's like shutting down the startup instead of laying off you know, seven people like, because I'm like, I don't, I don't need the pain anymore. But what I can do is help inspire a new CEO who is hungry and uh, really wants to go to like, to do his best and to help him or her and get, you know, get off the ground and, and, and get running. And so uh, that's, that's my, that's what I love to do now. And that's, I think that's the highest leverage use of my time.
0: I think that's brilliant. I, you know, to, to answer it myself, I'd say, I am I've turned out to be a really good friend to people. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how that happened That's like my great skill set. Um I like to think I'm good at communicating in media. I like to think I'm good at investing or you know building media brands I, and I enjoy those things. The thing is she's being uh, a bestie to people, like being a good friend to people, whether it's somebody who I invest in their company or just somebody in my personal life, being there to help people solve their problems and being of service to them is I think the highest order or the one where I feel the most joy. You know, and I'm lucky to have a lot of friends who are very successful. And, you know, it's it's nice to be on the short list of people who they say, uh, yeah, can you help me with something? Like, okay, sure. I'd love to help you with something. It feels great to be of service. and uh, So we think we have some overlap there. This question's sure great. Uh, how do you go from working at a no-name tech company? <coughs> Google, I'm guessing. Uh, <laughs> one of the bigger players, uh, let's say this is from a standpoint of a data scientist. So I'll expand that to, hey, maybe you could become a player yourself as a data scientist or find, like, uh, you know, become a bigger player to bigger player? Uh, how do you level up? Either way, becoming indie or becoming a bigger part of the machine? It was from the point of view of a data scientist. I'm sure you have some ideas.
2: Yeah, I, I think, you know, I saw a lot of people do this. Actually, in the early days of Justin TV or Twitch, they would like work, go from like, no, no name, or like, maybe a student to like working for us. And then they'd catch up like Facebook. <laughs> and he didn't like go over there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that it's just about finding, you know, you're working at this company and it's kind of like what I talked about earlier, where you're optimizing for learning. It's like, go do the projects that are going to challenge you. Do the projects that are, you know, that are, that are where you're going to learn a lot and then figure out how, you know, be good at articulating or learn how to articulate the things you learned and how you surmounted those challenges. And then, go interview at a better company or better job and like be able to articulate what you learned. And that is mm-hmm. the key. And, you know, that's when you're interviewing someone like, this is true for startups. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you feel the same way, but also for like employees, it's like, I want to hire people where I learn from them. And mm-hmm. so generally in an interview process setting, you know, yeah, you're looking for like, can this person do these jobs, you know, can they do this job, build this company or whatever. But then you're also like, oftentimes I'm looking, what do I learn from this interaction? And mm-hmm. the people I learn from that's who I want to hire.
0: All right, everybody who's watching give a smash the thumbs up button on both channels. Remember, you can subscribe to Justin's amazing channel at youtube.com slash Justin con TV, Justin K and TV and you can subscribe to youtube.com slash this weekend for this week in startups go ahead and smash the thumbs up button on both channels that basically hacks the algorithm at YouTube, you smash the thumbs up, you hit the subscribe, more people find these videos, more people get uh, advice from it. I think you know, becoming a media brand, is something that people think will take a lot of work. It's really simple. If your name is Dina and you're in data science and you become data science Dina and you change your you know, uh, Twitter handle, your Instagram handle to that, and but once or twice a week you write a blog post or do a short video or interview somebody in audio only or make an infographic or do a thread on Twitter, you would be surprised after 52 weeks of doing that, the consistency of publishing, how much higher your profile will get And then people will come find you. So instead of trying to convince people over long emails or whatever, demonstrate it in the real world. When you demonstrate in the real world that you're good at something, my God, the inbound goes crazy. Uh, Because we as leaders, and Justin and I have to make a lot of hiring decisions, right? Or investment decisions. You're looking at a group of people, let's say there's 10 people, and two of them are out there in the world doing stuff that is related to the need you have as a leader who gets to decide who gets the job who gets the gig who gets the financing and the other eight people are telling you they can do it and two people are showing you you can do it who are you gonna go with justin
2: <laughs> exactly exactly the person who's showing that's always a good look
0: yeah i mean you might take a chance on somebody if there's not somebody out there showing you. but man it, just thinking about like what could a data scientist do just i mean just talking about data science problems just or becoming the number one or number two person answering data science questions on Quora all of a sudden, you know, if somebody came to me and said, I've answered a thousand questions about startups and angel investing and podcasting, I'd love to come work for you on Quora. Here's my thing. I got 10,000 followers. I'd be like, okay, you're hired. (laughs) You couldn't have done that. You answer a thousand questions, you know, like you're good at it. Something happens after a thousand things. The 10,000 hours, I think after a thousand podcasts or a thousand Quora questions, you're going to be good. All right, listen, this has been great. Justin, you're awesome. It's great to know you. Uh, You're awesome,
1: Jason.
0: Well, honestly, like I feel like you and I never really got to be bros, but we see each other once in a while socially or otherwise. But I, I've always respected your absolute enthusiasm for what we do in our industry of creating the new and just being creative and relentlessly supportive of other people. You know, it's very easy to make the money, kick the ladder out from behind you. And I've always just respected your your enthusiasm for helping other people and building cool shit in the world so i appreciate your time and 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 just knowing you it's good to know you
2: thank you thank you it's good to know you and thank you for the podcast by the way you provided Uh, me countless of hours of entertainment
0: i it really has been a pleasure people always say like i like i went to a party this weekend literally the first four people at the party said i love all in on the way into the party it was an industry party so you know but i thought four out of four it's pretty crazy um and They they all said the same thing. I just love it. I look forward to every week. And I said, uh, I got a new response to people. I was like, that's so amazing. You love it half as much as we love making it. So thanks for tuning in. You know, it's like, it's such a joy to make it every week and making it fun every week. And so I wish you luck with your all in with Michael and Mm -hmm. and your other co-founders. And we'll see you all next time on Justin Khan TV or This Week in Startups or wherever you're watching this.